Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Also, there were some amazing panellists on, including none other than Roger Huddle, who is one of the founders of Rock Against Racism. And do stick around till the end. Uh, Soho Radio alum, an absolute legend, uh, hops on at the very end and you get a little bit of music at the end. But please do sit back and uh, have a listen. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to Hashtag Speak Up Thursday with Love Music Hate Racism on SohoRadioLondon.com. Afternoon. Uh, welcome to the next session uh, on from Rock Against Racism to Love Music Hey Racism, building anti-racist culture. Uh, as you might notice, our lineup has slightly changed. Um, Paul Samuels had to drop out due to COVID, and Don Letts is currently on the main stage, so a bit of a mix-up on the times. But his book is still available to get, and if you, I don't know, if you get bored, you can catch a little bit of his set. But hopefully you won't get bored. Anyway, uh, my name's Lois. I used to be an organiser of Love Music Hate Racism. Uh, we've got a really amazing panel. We've got Roger Huddle, who's uh, the original and the original co-founders of Rock Against Racism. Um, and your, his book is available, Remnants of uh, Art Ra, uh, which is over on the desk. Um, next we have Rick Blackman, also who is... Is this your, your new book, right? New book. So Babylon's Burning. Again, books at the desk as well, available for purchase. And then we've got Zach, who's uh, been like a really big key figure in helping organise uh, as one of the Love Music Hate Racism organisers. Uh, no, no book. No book. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically how it's going to work is we're going to let the speakers talk for about eight minutes each and then we'll open up the floor for questions and we'll get people to come... We'll get people to come down to this mic and, yeah, get involved. So, yeah. Do you want to go? I'm, I'm a first. Okay, go, I'm Rick. Go, go. Okay, right. eight minutes. It's a little bit like uh, <laughs> anti-fascist speed dating. Um, <clears throat> right, okay. Uh, so, um, basically, uh, well, one of the reasons why I've been asked to, to come here is obviously because my, my book is out on the 26th, uh, uh, which talks about all three of the main musical organisations that uh, uh, have been created over the last, last 70 years in, in Britain. Uh, uh, I won't go into the territory of Rock Against Racism because Roger will do that and I won't talk uh, about uh, Love Music, Hate Racism because Zach will do that but the organisation that I'll talk about in a second is the first of the organisations which was a sort of lost history really an organisation called the Stars Campaign for Interracial Friendship which was founded after the Notting Hill Riots in 1958 but before I do that uh, just a sort of overview really of to, to, to get a handle on what this meeting's about and to, to talk about uh, where we set ourselves and where these three musical currents and oppositions to racism and fascism come from. 
uh, and, and, and to really to understand what the place of the, these things are in, in British history in the last 70 years. So there's a, there's, there's a tendency for, for people to think about fascism when it raises its head. It says, oh, this is a new thing, right? This is, oh, we haven't seen these guys before, whether it's the e English Defence League, the British National Party, uh, whichever manifestation of these reptilian scum comes out of the sewers first, right? You know, people tend to think of it as a, as a, as a surprise, as a, as a new phenomena. Uh, and the important thing to, 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 first of all, to state about this is that, 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 that these organisations are all linked, right? That every, every manifestation of, of, uh, of, of musical anti-racism that we'll talk about today uh, comes in direct response to a different strain, a different manifestation of fascism that, that, grow, that has grown up over the last 70 years. And, and, and we, have to, uh, we have to view it in that way and think of, uh, think of fascism and the British variants of fascism as a form of cancer, really. That, uh, sometimes the cancer gets malignant and it grows and then we have to cut it out and then for years it goes into remission. And that's the way I think we have to, to frame this meeting, really. So if we look at Mosley... Uh, Mosley in, 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 in the 1930s and the British Union of Fascists was really stopped <coughs> uh, by a you know, combination of Jewish, Irish working class groups uh, culminating in the Battle of Cable Street. That cancer was stopped there. Uh, then it goes into remission for a little while. Uh, in the 1950s they start to rebuild again, uh, but this time the direction and the hatred is directed against the new incoming Windrush generation of Afro-Caribbeans. Uh, again, it culminates in the 1959 general election where Mosley loses his deposit. He stands in Notting Hill, loses his deposit there. The cancer is cut again. In the 60s, it goes into, into remission. They start to rebuild again. They're given a way in through Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood uh, speech in 1968. A national front is formed in 67. Right, so that gives them a foothold back into, into mainstream politics again. They rise in the 70s, uh, Rock Against Racism, which Roger will talk about. And that cancer, again, is cut out. That malignant cancer is cut out in 1979. Again, the 1980s, into remission. But the links are always there. And then they grow again in 2002, the 1990s, with the British National Party and Nick Griffin. So all of these groups are, aren't, don't spring up of their own accord. They all are linked with each other. Each manifestation is known both personally and politically through a, a lineage that goes all the way back to, to Mosley and before the First World War, even with the British Brothers League. Uh, so, so when these groups new appear, and there will be another one that will appear at some point in the future, there they won't be a surprise because they'll be talking to Nick Griffin now, they'll be talking to Tommy Robinson now, they learn off of each other in the same way that we should learn off of our past. So that's the first point to say, really, that this meeting is framed in that framework that uh, we understand that this is not a new de 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 development, but, uh, but our responses uh, are sometimes very similar, but often very different as well. So the second thing I'd like to say really in uh, eight minutes that I've probably only got two minutes left of is, uh, is uh, the, the, the first organisation which lost, lost the history. So Oswald Mosley and Colin Jordan, who was a guy in an organisation called the White Defence League, were basically uh, the political forces that were behind the Notting Hill riots of 1958. They didn't spring up spontaneously. It wasn't just a lot of disgruntled people who went out on a bank holiday weekend after having too much drinking. Uh, it, was a, it was a deliberate thing that was set up by Mosley and by, uh, by Colin Jordan. Uh, fascists were behind the Notting Hill riots. But the organisation that, that was formed immediately to fight against it 
was this organisation called the Stars Campaign for Interracial Friendship. Basically, a group of uh, musicians uh, that came together in exactly the same way that Roger will probably talk about uh, that Rock Against Racism came about. It was a letter that was sent to Melody Maker uh, deploring the racism and the violence uh, in the Notting Hill race riots. And the following week, they were inundated with replies of people saying, what can we do? How can we help it? How can we stop the Notting Hill happening again? So they formed this organisation, the Stars Campaign for Interracial Friendship, SCIF. <clears throat> and then basically what they did was they started, it's a low-level stuff in comparison to this, but started doing gigs, interracial gigs. There was a colour bar in operation in Britain in 1958. They, they held gigs where black and white people could go and listen to music and dance together. You know, this was groundbreaking stuff. It seems really sort of tame now in 2021. But in 1959, uh, when this was set up, this was revolutionary stuff. They received death threats, arson threats, and all of the venues where they put stuff on. Uh, it involved a lot of the people, like people like Cleo Lane, uh, Tubby Hayes, Britain's finest ever jazz saxophonist, uh, Lonnie Donegan, Tommy Steele. Some of you people won't have heard of these names because you're too young. But uh, the, the basically, the, the, you know, the, the, the stars, Peter Sellers, Frank Sinatra was involved in it. He sent over, uh, he, he wrote a statement against racism that uh, appeared in this organisation's newsletters, which again, very similar to Rock Against Racism, they had a, a broadsheet called uh, What the Stars Say uh, Against Racism, which was very similar to Temporary Hoarding, which was the publication for Rock Against Racism. So basically these gigs were put on and these clubs, anti-racist clubs were put on in Notting Hill Gate in West London and in Soho as well. And it was revolutionary. This had not been done before. Uh, to, to open a club and to say that we're defying the colour bar, we refuse to accept that black and white people cannot go into the same bar and listen to music and have a few drinks together and dance and, God forbid, get off with each other. So this was, this was the key thing about uh, what Skiff was. It only lasted a year, but the reason why it only lasted a year was because in 1959, Mosley stood for the general election in the borough uh, where the Notting Hill riots in North Kensington, Mosley stood there, and because of the work that, uh, that Skiff did, uh, uh, and other, other people as well that were active and around the time, Mosley lost his deposit in the, in the 59 election. Uh, so you've it's got, a highly, highly, highly successful organisation. One thing I must get in, because I, I, I can't forget her, is that part of the reason why it was so successful was Claudia Jones, uh, who was a Trinidadian uh, who had uh, been kicked out of America under the McCarthyite witch hunts, came to live in London and she was behind uh, a lot of the clubs that Skiff set, set up uh, simultaneously whilst organising the first Notting Hill Carnival uh, in January 1959 which was actually inside in, uh, in King's Cross Town Hall so Notting Hill Carnival that we know now outside and in the summer but it was set up as a political act uh, against the racism and the Notting Hill riots so Claudia Jones, the mother of Carnival, was also a member of the Stars Campaign for Interracial Friendship as well. So, so that's the first organisation, really, that under this framework of fighting against fascism and how we use culture against it, the Stars Campaign for Interracial Friendship was the first one. Then we have to wait another 20 years, almost, before the second okay. one comes along. Can you along, wrap up, please, Rick? Which is Rock Against Racism. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Roger, are you going next? Are you next, Roger? Yeah. Okay, go on. Take the floor. Okay. Um, Roger Huddle. <laughs> that wonderful sound that's drifting across and interrupting uh, your concentration is a band called, uh, I think they're called Balimani Project. 
and they are extraordinary. They're a large 12-piece, 13-piece band, mainly percussion, mainly the drum, the drum, the African drum, the drum, the drum, the American drum, the drum that kind of beats the, in the march to walk, uh, towards uh, freedom. The, a fantastic band. Also waffling across the green here is uh, the smell of weed, which is also very enjoyable as you drift around. It's a bit bitter for me. I like softer weed, but never like it's, it's coming across uh, the park. I tell you, this would have been impossible 40 years ago. It would have been impossible to have this kind of gathering, multicultural, diverse, with large, uh, mainly African-American or uh, Afro-Caribbean or English black bands playing on the stage. So it was, that's, I want to say start from that because before uh, the band came on, there was a DJ playing. A DJ was a man called Dennis Bavell. Now, Dennis Bavell was in a band called Matumbi. And Matumbi were the very, very early English reggae bands and they did the second ever VAR gig. They responded to VAR almost immediately. Now, VAR came into being in 1976 in a period of intense racism. I can't even... You can't, uh, uh, an example. Uh, a woman in, uh, in Leamington Spa was dragged out of her home and her sari was set alight until she was dead. Uh, Enoch Powell uh, spoke about the Malawi Asians and how we've got to stop immigration and they all should be sent back. And the next day after his speech, two young Asian men were stabbed to death in Woodford. This was the, the atmosphere was absolutely terrible. Me and Red Saunders uh, met up. We were doing work around a thing called Stand Up to uh, uh, Right to Work campaign. We got together and said, we've got to do a gig against racism. The, the, the racism is appalling. And on the back of the racism, of, of course, as Vic was saying, rides the fascist. The fascist comes riding in uh, on the back of the racism. And they were building. They were building big in England. It was a real Nazi organisation, the National Front. And then right in the middle of August 1976, Eric Clapton who the, uh, a blues guitarist is doing his uh, concert in Birmingham and he comes out on stage and starts going on about Enoch Powell is right, we've got to get rid of the wogs. There's too many here now, we, we've got to start sending them back. Uh, Enoch Powell, and he goes on and on throughout the whole of the, the concert. People begin to walk out and only, reflect, only came back 40 years later when, uh, when we formed, well, 20 years, 10 years ago, when they came back and started uh, saying that what uh, our terrible uh, Clapton was. So that was right in the middle of the most intense racist year. For him to do that was uh, not only irresponsible, but it was a real call uh, to, for racists to stand up. So we had to put it back down again. Uh, Red Saunders wrote a letter to the musical press. He phoned up a, a few of us who were involved with Stand Up to, uh, with uh, uh, the Right to Work campaign, and he said, "Can you join it?" We all signed it. He sent it off to the music press, and there was an enormous explosion of interest. At the end of the letter, we said, "We are going to set up an organisation called Rock Against Racism. If you're interested," and we gave a poster box number. 
and uh, get in touch. Within the first week, we had 300. Second week, 500 letters saying, I want to join, I want to join. Mainly from Soul Boys. This was... And soul girls. This was Wigan, and the the age of the uh, of the of the soul dance. But nevertheless, in the in the in in the wings, if you like, was reggae that Matumbi represented, Aswad, Black Slate, Steel Pulse. Reggae was coming onto the stage, and so was punk. And both punk and reggae. There's two one thing that really really unites both. They were young. People, young men and women, shits off with racism, with a no future, with a system of unemployment rising, with a system that was just like for them was nothing like the life they're supposed to be leading. And on top of that was the racism. And so reggae and punk expressed in their music that anger, that feeling about the world going wrong. And we'll, and we was uh, we was on it. And what, we, what Rock Against Racism did, we decided that what we try to do is run gigs up and down the country as a political gig, a political act, where we would try to get a white band and a black band on, on the stage together. We would try to get either a black sound system and a DJ together on the stage. And the idea was, is at the end of the night, they would on, come onto the stage and stand and be united, uh, a black and white unite on the stage. Now, this was okay for a year or two, but then we had to fight them on the streets as well. So coming out of that was the Anti-Nazi League. The Anti-Nazi League came out in 1970. I don't know if you know, yesterday was the 44th anniversary of the Battle of Lewisham. Now, uh, out of the Battle of Lewisham, we had to take on the Nazis on the streets. And so the Anti-Nazi League was formed. And the Anti-Nazi League and Rock Against Racism in the next four years stood it standing together uh, with the music, with the youth, with the trade unionists, with the, fa- with the workers in the factories and the offices, with the students, etc., etc. We stood up and said no. And we sold everywhere. People would wear the VAR badge. People wear the ANL badge. Skinheads against the Nazis. Uh, fireworks against the Nazis. Women against the Nazis. Bus workers against the Nazis etc. No, NF is no fun. NF is no future. All these things were worn at work, in the playground, at the university, and on the streets. So it created a, a visual graphic world where it was difficult to be a Nazi, where it was very, very difficult even to be a racist. So we, that is the way that we put, moved and pushed them back and pushed the whole... that we beat the Nazis and they will come back at some point. They did. They have done a couple of times. It's got a minute. But the important thing is, is that we stood and pushed them back. And the thing is, I think, and this this park here represents it in many ways. Rock against racism. The people who began it, we were all in our thirties by the time Ra came along. So we came through the Vietnam War campaign. We came the struggles of the counterculture in the 60s. We were, in, I mean, I was brought up on the Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan, John Coltrane and James Brown. Nothing like the music of the, uh, uh, of the uh, late 70s. But nevertheless, we brought it together, stood up and fought. But what we believe, and I still, and I accept it now, the majority of people are not racists. 
racism comes from outside. It comes from the state. It comes from the media. It comes from all those ideas are pumped in and people turn to racism because they have no power. What we do in the struggle against racism, we give people that power, not only to fight racism, but fight for a better world. Thanks, Roger. Uh, and, and as I said before, uh, Roger's got his book, which is Remnants of Ra, uh, which you can buy from the store. How, how much is it? How much is the book? Cheap. 15. Very cheap. Cheap. There we go. 15 pounds. Okay. Okay, next I'd like to in, in, introduce Zach Cochrane. Do you want to go? <laughs> thank you. I, w- I want to thank you all for taking the time. I know there's an amazing band, as, as Roger plugged, the Balamaya Project. Check them out on the socials. They're going to be a massive band. But you've took the time to come and listen to this meeting, which I think is ab- absolutely crucial. Because the truth is, when I'm sitting and listening to Rick and Roger, I, I realise that I didn't learn this history in school. I-, I knew what racism was. I suffered racism in school. But I didn't learn the history of working class people standing together and fighting back against racism. That- that- that's the absolute truth. And it's a buried history. It's not the stuff they put on the curriculum, but it's such a crucial history. It's a history that we need to understand. We stand on the shoulders of giants. The history is there for us to learn to and to learn the lessons for for the challenges today. And I want to bring this up to Love Music, Hate Racism. So 2002, um, Love Music, Hate Racism began life as the slogan of Rock Against Racism that Roger Red and many others were a key part of organising the movement for a number of years. Now, 2002, you'll remember the riots in the northern cities um, that the BNP were absolutely instrumental in in whipping up, encouraging division. Anyone that came to the first meeting to understand, actually, I'm fantastic that the BNP are confined to the dustbin of history, but the truth is, decades gone by, the British National Party... um, as Wayman spoke about earlier, being thrown out of the local council building here because they had so many councillors and such influence locally. Um, in, in places in Stoke, they had uh, a dozen candidates up in Stoke. In, in areas of the northwest as well, we know Nick Griffin became an MEP. That The threat of the British National Party was, was very real. So Love Music, Hate Racism was about learning from that history of rock against racism or what went before and applying that to the present day. Now, music had changed a lot. Reggae, punk had been replaced in many ways by other popular genres at the time. Indie music, grime, bhangra, a number of other genres at the time. Um, So what Love Music, Hate Racism done was to take that same method, that method of trying to unite people through whatever kind of music they listened to and bring them together on on a platform. They had some fantastic gigs. um, And it wasn't always easy. This is true. Victoria Park Carnival... um, this was marking, at the time, the 30-year anniversary of the famous Rock Against Racism carnival that The Clash p- performed at. Um, well, now, in 2008, you had a carnival that was sending a message clearly to the British National Party, your politics of division will not be able to devise working-class people. You had indie bands, you had grime bands on stage. As Roger talked about, the eclecticism of bringing punk and reggae together. In 2008, it was grime and indie. A new genre called Grindy was, was emerged. You know, we, we should be celebrating, just a couple of years ago, it was a two-tone anniversary. The influence there, the legacy of rock and reggae. I hope in another 20 years, you'll, we'll be celebrating the, the Grindy. It was short-lived, a lot short-lived than, than, than two-tones, I'm, I'm sad to say, but... 
We should, st we should still mark, mark the anniversary in, in, in any case. But um, in areas around the country, um, LMHR was putting on some big festivals, artists, Kano, Chipmunk, The Libertines, Kasabian, some quite massive bands at the time, um, got involved because they understood, although their managers wanted big fees for the performances, they understood actually the real threat. They were convinced over that if the British National Party are able to grow, then we could be, as the speaker said on the earlier platform, in a situation like France, where the Front National are regularly rivaling up as uh, an option that could become the next president of France. Actually, they understood that threat and they started to mobilise. You'll remember in the early 2000s uh, when the English Defence League started to mobilise in areas like Stoke and Bolton. Very, very scary scenes. Um, 2,000 or more far-right uh, mobilisations on the streets of predominantly Muslim communities intimidating people. LMHR worked with people. Uh, this is Wayman speaking now, you know. He's been, you've, we've been hearing this loud voice, I'm proud to say, of my comrade for, 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 for decades speaking out against racism. And he's there introducing Don Letts as, as well. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad for, for, for that. But it's true, this was absolutely scary time. So music was absolutely crucial. Following this, this model of rock against racism, of, 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 of what went before, of understanding actually that putting multi-genres together um, on the same lineup, you can pull in uh, different communities of people together, that you can win people back. That all, It's not automatic racism. People can be pulled uh, back from racism. Now, I want to bring that forward. What we've been doing in recent years... Um, the internet now is where most people get a lot of their, their information from. The, the, the launch of far-right sites, of, of the hate online, has been a, a massive, massive issue that we've had to combat. Uh, one of the things we've done in recent years is getting artists uh, to do interviews online, um, putting content on, out on their social media as well. But crucially, the street mobilisations, the events that occupy in a space and saying... Um, one thing that was said on the earlier panels... Nazis can't dance, you know. Music and culture is, is for anti-racists. And it's about us occupying these spaces and, and understanding that. In recent years, uh, Rick mentioned Claudia Jones. I, I found it was tragic a few years ago when we got involved with, with the Notting Hill Carnival, how little was being said about the anti-racist history of Carnival. The truth is, it is a cultural form that for 50 decades has brought people together often faced huge opposition from local councils, from the police, that tried to ban it, particularly in, in the start. It survived and it has fought for a community to be represented and fought for, for the kind of eclecticism that multiculturalism rep represents. So um, we've been spreading that message in the Notting Hill Carnival for the last few decades. It's been absolutely crucial as well. I, I want to fast forward for today because today um, is about learning for our history, but it's also so how we apply this history for the present. What we see today is racism is very much al alive and well. When we see the Prime Minister defending people, booing black, black football players in the summer, we know actually the kind of soil, the fertile soil for the far-right organisations to grow is, is absolutely there. We, don't, we luckily now don't have the National Front and BNP. They're confined to the dustbins of history. But actually, the desperation, the inequalities that have been thrown up by this pandemic are still there. So it's absolutely crucial that we organise we're hoping, with Love, Music, Hate, Racism, that this will be the first of many festivals. I don't know who lives in Barking or where you live around the country, but one of the models um, that certainly RA used and LMHR used as well is Let a Thousand Flowers Bloom. 
get involved and do your events around the country. You know, we, we want you got a minute. We, we want and need this movement to be back as as big as ever and spreading that positive anti-racist message. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you to all our panelists. Um, we will now open the floor to questions uh, or any comments you want to make uh, using this mic at the front. Uh, we can keep contributions about like three minutes max. Yeah. Cool. Just indicate by putting your hand up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Balvinderana from West London. Uh, one of the misconceptions about uh, rock against racism and anti-Nazi league is that, uh, mainly peddled by the Asian uh, sectarians, is that they, they have no sport amongst the Asians. And that is complete nonsense. Because all the Indian work associations and other Asian organizations supported the anti-Nazi league. And also, in 1980 and 81, in South Hall, in the South Hall Park, we organized the RAR carnivals and the local uh, Mystian Roots group, a black reggae group, and also an Asian group. I can't remember the name now. They played full part. And the park was all, most times fully packed, mainly by the Asian youth and black youth and others. So we had a full sport. I'm sure the same story was around as well. Quickly, I must tell you one story about the Notting Hill Carnival, which is not well known. In 1977, the Social Workers Party, SLP, hired a flat back lorry. And at the time, there were the liberation wars going on in Angola and Mozambique. So we hired the military fatigues and imitation semi-automatic machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> and we built a scene uh, on the back like an African jungle. And there was myself, because the Cuban soldiers were sporting the uh, liberation war at the time. So that myself dressed like a Cuban with a Spanish hat. And were a dozen black comrades, you know, we were all holding these uh, automatic guns and we went all the way on all the route with the other uh, floors, all the way. And we were really appreciated, the people standing clapping us and uh, everyone uh, was so happy. But uh, the next day, the Daily Mail came with a headline saying, uh, SWP takes over the carnival. Oh, you got a minute left. So they never allowed it to come back again. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, with the red hair? Yeah. <laughs> So I grew up in the 70s being taken to Rock Against Racism and Anti-Nazi League marches with my mum. I've grown up loving music. You talk quite a lot about um, two-tone music and, and what that brought to the movement. But I know that even as recently as two years ago, just pre-COVID, I went to two-tone gigs and you still get a core group of people in their audience that absolutely do not understand what two-tone is about. They see the DM boots, they the shaved heads, etc. They do not understand the concept. I went to see the specials um, and they were supported by a brilliant band called The Tuts. Oh, yeah, and the Tuts, the Tuts lead singer is um, female Muslim. Yeah. 
no, and yeah. someone in the crowd behind me, and excuse my language, said, what's a fucking packy bird doing on stage? So I turn around and give them a mouthful about how, whatever, but how do we get that core of people who should not be there, who do not understand what this is about, to actually, um, how do we deal with that? It's a question, really. Uh, who would like to go? Roger, do you want to go? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only way you can... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, th I think the only way that you can do that is you have to mobilise others. To actually... If you like, people believe something until something it, it takes place. That, that, is it? Oh, yes, okay. Um, and I think that's that, that, we, that we worry too much about, uh, well, not worry too much, not true, but the way to get to the people who, who are soft racist, you have to show the alternative. The hard racist you can't get, and we have to deal with them other ways. But no doubt about it at all, if you, if you stand in the terms of an anti-racist platform, anti-racist gigs, and actually stand... Uh, solid with every struggle that takes place against any against racism, against uh, transgender, against uh, women, uh, whatever, whichever way, whatever happens, if you stand against it and show an alternative to that, then the soft people can be won over. The hard ones, you can't. I mean, it, you can't get to them. It goes out. Yeah. Well. One, two, one, two. Okay, yeah, well, okay. j j just to add to that, I think one thing we've, we've probably lost, actually, is um, artists, you know, speaking out, making their allegiances completely clear, making racists in the crowd feel uncomfortable. You, you know, Roger will tell you about Sham 69. They had a far-right following at the time, and it was through, through pressure of activists um, that Jimmy Percy and others, you know, made itself clear they, they had nothing to do with the National Front. They wanted to distance themselves eventually. But maybe we've lost this. We, we can't take for granted just because the legacy, just because two-tone was born out of, of eclecticism that, that everyone, that anti-racist message still resonates. I, I would go to whoever's organises these um, two-tone events and say, have a clear anti-racist message. Make racists in the room feel uncomfortable. Two-tone was born out of anti-racism and that's where it should be along. But we need to fight for that now. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, this is, is this on? Right, okay. Uh, I haven't really got much to add to that. I mean, if we could write a book on that, on the, on the arguments that you could have that would defeat a racist and make them, he or she, into an anti-racist, then they would be all over the bookstalls there. It's, 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 it, it's I'm, I'm, you're not suggesting that, I know, but it's not a simple argument. But, you know, what I will say is I forgot to show this. Uh, this is the original Melody Maker that came out in 1958, uh, that the first... Uh, letter signees wrote uh, deploring the racism of the Notting Hill riots. So to answer your question, I think that's how you do it. They created an organisation. They created a climate in which people who were racist weren't able to have the confidence to come out and speak anymore. Now, the difference between the Rock Against Racism and the Anti-Nazi League is an example, as Roger touched on this, is that you know, we, we want to seduce people politically to our, our anti-racist position, right? And we can use music to do that. 
if we can't convince them and they still want to march on the streets, then we use the anti-Nazi, then we use other forces, we physically stop them. That's the way, because once they've got to that point, you can't have a, a conversation with these people. You know, they've gone too far. So the, 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 the point of LMHR, of Skiff and Moir, was to get them earlier and to say, well, look, you know, these bastards that you're hanging around with, they've got no culture, they've got no music, and what music they've got is shit. Right, you know, the, the music that you listen to, the music that everyone's influenced by, is black music, ostensibly. It comes from either Jamaica or it comes from, you know, Detroit or Chicago. So, you know, this is the music. You can't escape the influence of black or increasingly Asian music now. So we create a climate uh, that, that makes them feel uncomfortable so they don't voice their racism. And then at some point, you know, we wear them down and then hopefully we put them onto our sides. The hardcore racists, fuck them. <laughs> All right, thanks, Ray. Uh, in the T-shirt, yeah. Thank you. Um, no, I just my 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 gut instinct is that I'm 58, okay, and I I'm interested in how people of sort of over 50 can help support younger people who, in my view, have an idea of what's going on. In some senses, the emergence, you know? So it seems to me that the, the more that um, decisions are made by the older folk, the, uh, power should be shifted down towards younger people. That's a belief of mine, okay? So I wonder what the panel feel about how they best relate to people under 25, or even may I ask you under 10, you know, what, what do you see the, the potential as? And, and, and how can we use that to accelerate things? Because the pace is so slow, you know, we're talking about things 50 years ago, we're talking about today, 70 years ago today, you know. So what do you believe? I mean, I went to a day in Hackney where the stage was six people who were 15 and it was it was a very good day and i'm just wondering i know i understand why you're here but i wonder what your feelings are about what i've said uh apparently um we're going to take some more questions oh, okay. and then you can answer at the end if that's okay yeah okay cool uh any more questions anyone if there's no if there's no questions just come back on it yeah, go. Okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll kick off first. I mean, the first thing I normally say to people who are listening to music who are under the age of 25 is, can you turn it down a little bit, please? Because um, I am also uh, 58 as well. I, I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, look, I, I mean, I, I, I think the, the key thing is, right, that, that these things, Rock Against Racism, the Stars Campaign for Interracial Friendship, and loads of other different musical things that have happened, uh, have, can happen spontaneously, right? There's a whole thing that's happening at the moment in Labrooke Grove that's a result of the most brutal police, uh, police repression on music against drill acts uh, in, in Labrooke Grove, right? The, the, the likes of which have never been seen in this country before. I mean, they tried it with uh, in the Criminal Justice Act in the 1990s when they tried to ban music with repetitive beats. But the videos that these guys uh, 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 and, and young women are putting out in, from this particular gang uh, uh, of, of drill musicians uh, around Labbrook Grove has to go through Scotland Yard to be vetted before it's allowed to be put onto YouTube. Now, who the person is 
at Scotland Yard that has got the qualifications to understand uh, the drill music and the subtle nuances, uh, as well as the open you know, violence that's in some of these videos, I don't know. But I'll tell you something that I do know. He ain't black, and he don't come from Notting Hill Gate. It'll be some white bloke who's probably my age who knows nothing about music. So, you know, the, the, these things will arise. So there's a movement that's happening uh, in Notting Hill Gate around the music. So there's a spontaneity that happens to these things. What we can do, uh, as, as, you know, what I can do for, 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 <laughs> for, for kids in clubs who are listening to drill music, there's a white 58-year-old, I'm not quite sure. But uh, in terms of the music, they're fine. They're, they're, they're doing it on their own. But when it comes to the politics... I think, you know, the, 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 if we were in and around the struggles against racism, then we have conversations with people and we can talk about the history. Because these things, as I said at the start, you know, they, they don't reappear anew. This is history repeats itself over and over and over again. So we can be there to, 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 to actually talk about the lessons that we learned in the past, the mistakes that we made, to make sure that they don't do it. And really, a lot of these people will take the ball and run. Uh, do you want to go? Okay, Roger. Yeah, I think. Uh, once again, I think it's a difficult, it's a difficult question, because to be honest, I'm finding it difficult to talk to 50-year-olds. But I think the, uh, I think the uh, the thing is, is that we we can't do that. I mean, I do generally think that you're right that there is a uh, there's a bubbling anger amongst young people. Was extraordinary, but it's not. It's generated by racism. It's generated by uh, climate change. Now, what it means is there's fantastic movements amongst youth uh, over these issues, um, and the, they take their music with them. And uh, I sometimes, I sometimes come across it. Some of it I love. Some of it I don't love. Um, I released my first single yesterday. It's an, it's well, my first track. It's on an album uh, of mainly young music. So whether I'll ever play the whole album, I don't know. But the, the, the important thing is, is that you can't do it by thinking I'm going to look at the, uh, at the uh, what I've got to find a way of connecting to the youth. In the end, it's the youth will connect to politics. And so the actual struggle is not going to be there, it's going to be somewhere else. It might be at work when you're fighting over issues at work. Uh, youth might find trade unions before they find us. They might, you know, there's all kinds of things that uh, are out there. That what the, the thing is, we should stop worrying about how do we talk to them and we should start thinking about how do we fight back. Because when we fight back, then they'll hear. If, we, if we're worried about talking to them, then it's not going to happen. It's just some old geezer going on. I mean, the important thing is the struggle needs to lift. Uh, it needs to lift. Not Politically, it's already very high in terms of the struggle in to, uh, uh, against climate change, over racism, over uh, how, you know, the protest bill that's coming, a whole number of things. Uh, look at the massive demonstrations over Gaza in the, in, in the last year. The thing is, is that that's taking place, uh, but the level of struggle in terms of workers' struggle, we can't keep on saying well, we've got to go to the workers' struggle if there ain't any. So the problem is, is that the, the struggle needs to lift before we can even approach the problem that you're talking about. Do you want to go, Zach? Yeah, just, just very quickly, I agree with um, what the two guys have said there. 
one thing we can be certain about, where there's racism and inequalities, there will be resistance to it. It's not our job to define what that resistance is, but it's our duty, certainly, to support young people. What do I mean by that? I'm very glad that Rick mentioned drill music, because the truth is, and he talks about these things go around in circles, uh, punk in a day, reggae in a day was criticised for the lyric, for being um, you, know, you know nihilistic and, and everything else under the sun. Now we hear that certainly in the early 2000s, grime music used to, the police used to do a what's called a 696 risk assessment, sorry, they used to get venues to do it before they would let a grime act come out. The, the original form, are the, are the ethnicity of, of the people going to be performing? This, this, is, this is how, how bad it got. And it was all these kind of same arguments that we see with drill music now. What can we do as 58-year-olds or whatever ages, ages we are? We absolutely defend artists' right to, to self-expression because we understand two things. People's music reflects their lived experiences in this world, but also something else happens. Actually, their music is in a dialectical relationship with wider society. You're seeing now drill artists talk about Black Lives Matters, talk about austerity, actually. Just the same process that grime music has gone through. We see Stormzy, you know, using the British walls to criticise Theresa May and whatever else. Actually, um, people live in the same world as us. Their ideas change. They, they change through the process, their life experiences and, and through struggle as, as well. So we should absolutely, why are we completely, you know, horrified by the loss of lives any, any young people who, who are dying on, on the streets of London or anywhere else we absolutely defend young people's right to self-expression against the attempts by the police to, to, to ban forms of music, I think that's a good starting place for us uh, Red Star yeah, do you want to yeah. okay, thank you to the panel that have given a fantastic talk I grew up Sasha Simic, 61, by the way. That seems to be quite important in, in this panel. I grew up in, in the 70s. Uh, my, my parents are both immigrants. Um, and the level of racism that people experienced, that was experienced on a day-to-day -day level was disgusting, but it was especially sharp in culture. And I don't think people who didn't grow up in the 70s don't, uh, can understand that. Um, th there was a dreadful program on the BBC called The Black and White Minstrel Show, where white men would black up to sing songs from the Deep South. This ran from 1958, where, you know, just before the, the, the Notting Hills race riots, to 1978. It was on TV in 1978. There were racist comedians like uh, Bernard Manning coming on every night. There were racist um, sitcoms, very, very popular sitcoms, when just having a figure of a black or an Asian person on it, uh, we, 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 they were there to, to be laughed at. And of course, you know, then it started infecting the music. I mean, you know, Roger talked about um, Clapton's foul uh, outburst. But there were, you know, the, the, you know, it was very sad that, you know, Bowie went through a period where he flirted with fascism. Now, it's, to his credit, he broke with that um, and actually supported uh, anti-fascist uh, organisations in the 90s. But the fact is that this, this, this was around. And if you were, you know, like me, an immigrant kid growing up, against that background, it was extremely worrying. And then, then you know, Rock Against Racism breaks out and you see on television these fantastic um, gigs, local people are putting on uh, uh, gigs and whatever, and it broke the back of that. It made it unacceptable. I had lapels absolutely covered in all... I had teachers against the Nazis as a 16-year-old. I was the bloody teacher. I've never been a teacher. I never will be a teacher. But, you know, it, it, was, it was fantastically empowering. Um, and and I, I want to jump down to, to today because I think... It's not just music where the right wing, where Johnson and whatever, 
uh, uh, you know, are trying to express themselves. It, you know, they're fighting their own culture war, and I'd like people to, I'd like the panel to come back, back on this, because um, I'm, I'm involved in a campaign in Hackney uh, to bring down a statue of a 17th century slaver called uh, um, uh, Jeffrey, Robert Jeffrey, who, who's been standing over what used to be called the Jeffrey Museum. Now, black kids have been going to this museum for generations and have come out being told what a great man Jeffrey was. They didn't, they'd never been told that he was a slaver who owned a slave ship, for Christ's sake. Um, next week, we'll be, we'll be out, uh, Hackney Stand Up Against Racism will be out, uh, outside the museum. Um, and I hope who, you know, people can join us next week because the, actual, the government has stepped in to say that that statue stays up. They are fighting their own culture wars. And they're not doing it because they want to save history because actually they've never told us the real history. They're doing it because they want to bolster racism. The statues must come down. Our music must go up. Our culture is the one worth fighting for. Yeah. Woo, yeah. <laughs> uh, any more questions from the floor? I'm not going to tell you my age, but I'm younger than him. Um, I want to emphasise something that Roger said earlier on, really, which is how much music generally, and um, Rock X Racism played a huge role in that, changed the climate uh, in this country. Um, in the early 70s, I was working at a place, and one of my black workmates wanted to take me to a Caribbean social club. So he took me there, and I waited outside, and then he came back really embarrassed. They wouldn't let me in. They didn't feel safe. They didn't trust that I, you know, I might be police or anything. That was that isolation at that time in communities. A few years later, 78, I was involved in organising a rocker racism gig in West London in Acton. But I have to tell you, it wasn't enough for Bob Marley to record a song saying punky reggae party because it was like apartheid in the hall. There was a reggae band and there was a punk band, but I tell you, there was all the black guys, people on one side and all the white guys, and there really wasn't any mixing at all. It hadn't happened yet. But Rock Against Races, amongst other things, really changed the culture, and people have talked about two-tone. So in the early 80s, you then got specials playing at the Anti-Nazi League Carnival up in Leeds. Uh, you got a change in the atmosphere, and in fact, also, it changed in the clubs. If you go to clubs, there was real mixing, there was real soul music in the clubs, it was happening. But underneath it all, all the time, there was the right wing and the fascists. So um, in the mid-80s, I was playing in a soul band with two black members. We, we played a socialist gig in Skegness one night. The next day, we were playing a mod revival gig in Lowestoft. We were driving there. It was pissing down with rain. And there were all these um, scooters coming away. And we thought, there's going to be no one there. We arrived there, and it was packed, but with skinheads, because um, uh, the Israelites were top of the bill. And there was a really nasty atmosphere when we did the... So the uh, sound check and then later on we found out that people had been stopped from dancing uh, because there was a we were friends with one of the mod bands and they told us that there were BM skins who stopped anyone from wanting to start dancing and I can't tell you what it's like to play a gig where no one dances at all, it's awful anyway they, we found out later that they, BM skins had rushed um, Desmond Decker when he put on a flag because he used to put hats on he put a Union Jack flag that someone he was rushed we found out in the sun the next day I never buy the sun just in case there's anyone in Liverpool here um, never touched it but that was the atmosphere at that time because they were still organising and they were still significant and therefore it's taken what happened here 10 years ago and lots of other things to start rolling them back and we need to continue that fight thank you cool. 
Uh, any more questions from the floor? Any more? Uh, Visit, no more questions. I don't know if you want to come back or no? Oh, go, Julie. <laughs> Dennis Perfect. Oh. oh, okay. Oh, we're going to invite Dennis Perfect up to speak to the stage. He's in the back. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> Good evening. I had the pleasure of being invited to join my good friend Linton Cressy Johnson in his recording endeavors to um, put music to his poetry. And I was very happy to join him when he spoke about police harassment and when he wrote about being kicked in the seed till it started to bleed. Those things that actually happened to that young man whilst he was on demonstration somewhere and then being arrested you know, for standing up for what was right. And he put his pen to paper, and I thought, you know what? The pen is mightier than the sword. And if anybody knows Linton's work, his words cut. In, I have to say, in the early days of Rock Against Racism, Red Saunders had invited me and my band, Matumbi, to join. And we accepted and did that. And Linton himself was involved in the struggle. And when he wrote a piece called Reggae for Peach, acknowledging that Bear Pleach had lost his life in the fight against fascism. A lot of people said, why are you writing about that guy? He came from New Zealand and he was a school teacher and all that. Yes, but the police had slain him. And I lived to see 15 years later when they were paying compensation to his common law wife. And you don't have to ask why, because the coroner had said that the blow to his head could only have been made by a truncheon. And we know who carried those. Anyway, love music, hate racism. That's me, I'll stand up for that. That's why I'm here, to give it my support. And I've supported it, and I will support it as long as it needs supporting. Because it won't just go away. You have to be prepared to stand up and face what it is and do what you've got to do, perhaps not physically, but mentally. You know, keep up the good fight. Thank you, Dennis. Okay. All right, that's a nice way to round it off. Um, have we got any more questions or contributions we want to take, anyone? 
Okay, if not, we can wrap up. Um, did you want to come back? Yeah, do you want to come back on, on anything? Any questions? Yes. I don't want to come back on anything. I want to say thanks, Dennis, for coming. It's fantastic. Red sends his love. I told him you were here earlier. So, uh, okay. And uh, I, I, I don't want to say much to, to end off on, but the thing is, is that the poison of racism, as long as the poison of racism exists, we can't move forward on the, on the f human front. So it has to be continued to be fought. And uh, it's best to get out there and dance away your inhibitions. Okay, thanks, Roger. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, Roger. Uh, yeah, nothing really to add to that, other than just to say that you know that that these 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 little battles happen all the time, and and they happen culturally as well. For me, when I was a young kid, listening to music, listening to the ideas of rock against racism, starting to listen to to black music as well as punk music, you know, had a radical shift on on the way I thought as a as a person, so and, and other people that of my generation that I was at school with uh, did the same thing as well. Uh, so those battles are also happening now. But I think the the, the environment that the the, the the foundations that we have to build on now are so so much better than they were. You know, if you go to drill gigs, if you go to grime gigs, you see that this is a black and white audience. It's there. These are the same kids living on the same estate. We haven't got to take that initial step to break down those barriers before we even begin those that's already been done we've, we've already established that now so so we've got a bit of a head start in comparison to what's come before but the main point of it is that we can't afford to be complacent and whilst we you can use culture we certainly always use music as a way to break down racist ideas it has to be broader than that as well but you know the, those little battles those little things to do with music and challenging people's ideas should uh, are, are, are there and, and we should always take up that battle at the same time one last thing, if anyone wants to talk to me afterwards, I know how old Zach is. Okay. <laughs> All right, Zach, do you want to... No. <laughs> just very quickly, um, I just want to come back on Sasha's point. The Jeffrey Museum, my, my, my first home was in Stanway Court, just facing the Jeffrey Museum. I, I lived um, just facing the racist slaver. And I say, why are the government so bothered about statues of racist slavers coming down? Why are they so bothered that... Uh, footballers are taking a knee because initially they were very bothered. They're bothered because they know this can be the spark to something else. Actually, the pandemic has shown us just how unequal the world is and it showed us actually we've got a world to win out there. So keep fighting, everyone. Keep struggling. We deserve a better society. We deserve an end to racism and inequality. We've got, we've got the people at the top of the society on the back foot. Actually, keep fighting and let's win that world. Yes. Okay. Um, well, thank you to all our panellists and thank you for, to, for all the contributions and questions. Um, as I said, there's a really great book, a bookmark store where you can get all your political books uh, on music and all that jazz. And um, it, like the next panel in here starts at 5.45 and that's uh, going to be called Decolonizing Education in the Wake of Black Lives Matter, uh, Fighting for Our Future. So come back if you can. All right.